The following resource is brought to you by Real Life Community Church in Richmond, Kentucky. We hope you're both challenged and encouraged by this message from Pastor Chris May. So this past weekend, we celebrated in our nation uh, Independence Day, and no doubt this past Sunday, the most, one of the most popular texts that was quoted was Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. How many know what that verse is? You could probably, you may not know the reference, but you could probably say it with me. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will hear their land. Right? We know that. And it's a great verse. But the meaning of this text is often understood as an invitation to modern America, right? It's kind of a rally cry to return to God and then enjoy God's blessings once again. So one scholar rightly asserts that 2 Chronicles 7.14 is the John 3.16 of the American Civil Revolution. <laughs> Our religion, excuse me. So I believe that the Lord has laid this text on my heart I almost preached it last week, but I wanted to study it out just a little bit more. And so this morning, my message is really twofold. Number one, I want to bring some clarity to the verse. The verse itself, which in fair warning, might seem like really bad news or frustration, frustrating news because it may not be, then the meaning may not be what you have been told or what you think. But secondly, I want to leave you with some really good news and some astonishing hope that should really encourage you in this most tumultuous time that our nation is in. So, Second uh, Chronicles, I'm going to read some context here, uh, chapter 7 and verse 11. If you don't mind, I know it's kind of been like musical chairs, but I like to stand for the honor of the reading of the Word of God. Verse 11 says this, Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house. All that Solomon had planned to do in the house of the Lord and in his own house, he successfully accomplished. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among the people, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. For now I've chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. And for you, if you will walk before me as David, your father, walked, doing according to all that I've commanded you and keeping my statutes and my rules, then... I will establish your royal throne as I covenanted with David, your father, saying, You shall not lack a man to rule Israel. This is the word of the Lord, and you may be seated. So I'm sorry, but I'm going to start with some bad news today. And here's the bad news. This verse is not about modern America. Gasp, right? So I know that people stand on this verse, and they say, Well, we just need to claim it, right? We, we need to claim the verse. And then it will come true. Uh, and, and we say this a lot of, about a lot of verses, right? We've we just got to claim the verse. And I have no issue with that. I think we should stand on the Word of God. What I have issue with is normally what we mean is we should stand on our interpretation of the verse 
which is a very liberal uh, interpretation, but not what God actually means in the verse. If we're going to stand on the promise of God, we've got to stand on what God actually means in the promises. Can I get a witness? So these verses are written to a specific people at a specific time for a specific purpose. Now, I'm going to bore some of you for just a second, but I want to give you some just background to, to Second Chronicles here. So the book of Second Chronicles uh, was written way after the events that it told about, that it tells about. It was written to the Jews who had come back to their homeland. Remember, God's people had been taken into exile, right, by the Babylonians. And the ba Babylon ended up falling to the Persians in 538 B.C., and this was under the rule of Cyrus II. Now, Cyrus was a little more lenient than the Babylonians were, and they allowed to begin, Jews to begin coming to the, back to their homelands. This is really good news for them. But as they begin traveling home and more and more Jews begin to come home, they realize that home looked nothing like it used to. I remember not too long ago, so I grew up in the same house on Carolina Avenue in Winchester, uh, and, and just have fond, the fondest of memories there. And uh, my, my mother and my father took such great care of our house. It was, you know, it, it was a smaller home, but it was just um, beautifully decorated and well-maintained. And so um, when I moved back to Kentucky, I was in Winchester. You know, we moved back from Colorado, and I wanted to go ride by the old house. And I was disheartened to see that home didn't look like home used to look. They, they put a uh, bright green roof on it and uh, the, the, all the shrubbery that was so uh, nicely uh, taken care of over the years was all just overgrown. The fence was hanging down. The shutters were falling off the front. A window was broken. The, the tree that I used to climb in as a kid was, was chopped down in the front yard. Wow, home didn't look like I remembered it. And this is kind of, in a sense, what... The Jews are experiencing, to a much greater degree, their homeland does not look like they remembered it. Even when the temple was rebuilt around 516 B.C., worship just wasn't the same. Everything seemed different. They were under kind of foreign rule for much of that time. And they began to wonder, are their days over? Has the covenant that God made with them somehow, somehow been redacted? So this book, 2 Chronicles and 1 Chronicles, it's meant to uh, kind of encourage these exiles who, are, who have returned home to let them know uh, and to, to think back to Solomon's day when God made those covenants and to think all the way back to Abraham. And God is telling them, I have not forgotten you. If you will humble yourself and you will pray as my people, you'll sense my presence. I will hear your prayer. You are my people. This is meant to be encouragement to the people of God who had returned from exile. So this means, consequently, that we can't just insert ourselves as a nation into this text. I would argue, though, that the text does have some application to us. We've got to be careful here because the application doesn't come to us because we're Americans, but because we are Christians. We too are part of the people of God. So God is pointing these people back to the covenant he made with Abraham. You might remember in Genesis 17, 7, he tells Abraham that he would be the God of his offspring. 
It's a promise. And so here God is encouraging a people who had been exiled and who feel kind of enslaved. And he wants to ensure them. He's still their God. He's not forgotten them. So these verses are not written to the American people, but to the people of God. So the bad news is that there's no guarantee right now that God is going to heal our land, so to speak. That's heartbreaking, isn't it? I love this country. How many love this country? And even in the the turmoil that we're experiencing now, it's still the greatest place in the world to live. But there's no guarantee, no matter how much we pray, that this nation will continue to stand. And I'm not speaking doom and gloom today. I do believe we should pray in this way. I do believe we should pray for our country and for our leaders. And I do believe that that helps. But there's no guarantee in the Bible. This, this scripture is not a text that says, hey, if you pray, then America will stand forever. That's not the promise in the text. It's heartbreaking. I get it. Now, here's what the Lord has laid on my heart. Here's why I bring this out. The flag, which I love, by the way is an idol to so many American Christians. The flag often comes before the cross. Being a patriot comes before being a Christian. And if you don't believe me, just look at your Christian friends on Facebook. You would think that Trump is their savior, not Christ. Here's why this matters. We have acquired a false sense of security in our nation. Do you think we're the first ones to ever do this? What do you think about Babylon, who were able to overcome God's own people and take them off into exile? Well, they fell to Persia. And then the Persians thought they would stand forever. And then what about the Roman Empire? Who would have ever thought in Jesus' day that they would fall? And I hear people say all the time, well, we're America, right? We're America. Nothing will keep us down. How are you feeling? This verse, see, it's, it's not a good July 4th or national prayer breakfast rally cry. That's the bad news, but the good news is this. The good news is that this text actually points us to Jesus, and it actually means something greater than we could ever hope for. We have this invitation now to become part of the people of God, no matter what nation we're from. So here's what's interesting about the story of Israel. You know, God says, if you'll you'll humble yourself and you'll pray and you'll repent, I'll, I'll forgive you, I'll heal your land. How did Israel do with that? Even after exile, they still continued. They had good moments and bad moments, but they continued to turn their backs on God. But you know what I love about God? He's still faithful even when we're not. So he says, there's a promise in verse 18, which is more compelling to me than the promise in verse 14 even. He says, then I will establish your royal throne. The throne, this is the throne of David. He says, as as I've covenanted with David your father, saying you shall not lack a man to rule Israel. In other words, you always have a king. The verse is recalling a summons to King Solomon where the Lord was calling him to be obedient to the law of Moses. 
But the promise that's recalled here is a promise that Israel would never lack a king. The throne of David would be established forever. But interestingly, the last Davidic king was deposed in 586 B.C. So had the Lord forgotten his promise? Would that kingly line be done away with? Would Israel ever see a king again? See, though Israel failed, here's the good news. A faithful Israelite was born through the lineage of David. His name is Jesus. Hallelujah. He did what Israel failed to do. He kept the law of God perfectly. He did what Israel failed to do. They didn't stay humble, but Jesus humbled himself. Let me read you a a text out of Philippians 2, verse 6. Though he, Jesus, was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, or you could say there, humbled himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on the cross. Now watch this. Remember, Israel, if they'll humble themselves, they'll never be without a king. Jesus humbled himself, and watch this, verse 9. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. That is the name of Jesus, that every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Jesus walked this earth as the faithful and as the humble Israelite who fulfilled the law. And now he is forever enthroned. That promise in our text in verse 18 is fulfilled. God's people shall never be without a king. His throne is forever established. And it even gets better. Because that means for those of us even who are non-Jews or Gentiles, we are part of the people of God now, if in fact we are in Jesus. Remember that the promise in 714 is to the God's people. And you and I, if we're in Christ, we are part of God's people. We forget this. John 1:12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. 1 Peter 2, 9, but you are a chosen race. It's to the church, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That's Old Testament language. What's Peter saying? He's saying, oh, church, you are part of this Israel now. I don't believe in replacement theology. I believe in expansion theology. We've been engrafted in to Israel. The true Israel are those who are in Christ. Hallelujah. This Old Testament language about God's people is now applied to all Christians in every nation. And together we make up what I like to call the capital C, church. Here's why I preach all of this today. I've, I've told you all of this to say that I think sometimes as much as I love this country, we put too much stock in the American empire, so to speak. I don't know what's going to happen in America I hope things turn around, but it doesn't look good. The Bible doesn't seem to hint that things will get better. But you and I are part of something much greater, namely the capital C Church, Jesus Church. And you know what the Bible says? Here's the promise we have today. No matter what happens with America, 
And I hope America stands forever until the Lord comes. Listen. But no matter what, I want to encourage somebody to say that you're part of an organization or an empire that's even greater than the American empire. You and I are, 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 are part of God's church. And Jesus declared, even the gates of hell shall not prevail against his church. You and I have a sure foundation in Jesus. We are immovable. Hallelujah. So the promise in 2 Chronicles 7.14 is not about God healing America, but we who are part of the church, we, we don't have a, a promised land. You know, the land that actually we do have a promised land, but it's not in the 50 states within America. It's not on the other side of the pond in, in Europe somewhere. It's not in Asia. It's not in Africa. It's nowhere in this world, but we have a land. Hallelujah. We have a land that's promised to us. See, we are, the, the New Testament is clear. You and I, we are strangers and pilgrims and exiles in this world. We should never feel otherwise. See, we've gotten too comfortable like this is our forever home. Friends, we ought to be homesick because this land is not our ultimate home as much as I love America. It's not my ultimate home, and I'm longing for my ultimate home. Oh, where is that land? Let me tell you, Revelation chapter 21 John, the revelator, revelator, writes this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out from, from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And watch this verbiage. Oh, I love it. It takes us back to 2 Chronicles and all the way back to Genesis. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Oh, there's a land. For God's people. Let me just quickly give you a few points of application and I'm finished. I just want you to meditate on this today. Number one, I want you to be infused with hope because I know there's doesn't seem there's a lot to hope for right now in our world. I know these are troubling times, but if you are in Jesus, you are part of his church and the church is an unstoppable force. Your future is sure. And if you're watching online or perhaps you're here today and you are not truly in Christ, there's an invitation for you to, to come and be a part of God's people, to repent of your sin and to turn to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, to believe upon his death and burial and resurrection, to profess him as your Lord. You are born again, brought into this new humanity. And that new heavens and new earth is your land to look forward to one day as well. Would you repent and trust the Lord today? Today is the day of salvation. And Christians, I want to challenge you today to put the cross before the flag. I've said it once in the sermon, but I want to reiterate it. Um, you know, Trump... You, you may have, we have, may have mixed feelings about him in here. Some, a lot of you love him. Some of you may not like his policies or his demeanor or what's, 
Maybe he makes a good president. But I promise you this, he makes a lousy savior. I hope I make a good husband and a good father and a good pastor. But I promise you this, I make a lousy savior. We have acted like our, in the church that all of our hope and everything that we have is secured in our, nation, you know, our uh, nationality. And again, please don't misunderstand me. I am proud to be an American. I had two grandfathers that served, and, and I've got a stepdad who served, and I've got a son serving right now this great country. I love this country. But my hope, ultimately, is not in America. It's in Jesus. My Savior is not a president or a vice president nor any politician nor any human being. I have one whom I can trust, and his name is Jesus. Finally, if we go back to Second Chronicles, if my people, so we are part of the people of God, will humble themselves. Humble themselves. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. Again, the land promise here is not geographical location here but I do believe if we'll humble ourselves I believe this is taught in the New Testament too and we'll pray and we'll repent that the Lord will hear us and I just want to close by saying that we need in the church today humility because I don't think we're doing a good job with exercising humility if you look at the way we are on social media, if you look at the way we carry ourselves, I think we come across as arrogant, always putting somebody down. We always have all, we're dogmatic about everything, not just theology, but just in politics and anywhere. And we're hateful. And if you disagree with us, you're ignorant and so on and so forth. That's not the clothing. That's not the, those, those are not the garments that Christ wants us clothed in. Friends, our world is hurting. Jesus is coming soon. And we need to humble ourselves so that we can be an effective witnesses to a lost and hurting world. Nothing that's going on right now should surprise you. No matter how you view Revelation, there's a lot of different views. The book of Revelation... By the way, it's not revelations, it's revelation. If, you shouldn't be surprised by that. You shouldn't be surprised by what's going on right now. Because the Bible talks about things will happen until Jesus comes. This just reinforces the fact that he's coming soon. I believe it. And you know what I believe the enemy wants to do with silly things such as fighting about masks and what stores we can go into and not go into and you know what he wants to do he wants us to distract to, to distract us from winning people to Jesus
That's all he wants to do. If he can, he, I'm not saying that we can't stand up for, for rights or anything. I'm just, just saying we're, I, I got on Facebook. I made a mistake. I, you know, I deleted it, and I needed my Facebook for something. And so I, re, <laughs> I, I redid my account for like, uh, reactivated my account for like two days. And I was like sick to my stomach. And I thought, why in the world did I do this? Pages and pages and pages about whether to wear a mask or not. People on both sides. And I think all that's going on in our world, and this is our greatest concern right now, whether I'm going to be like this or this. Folks, people are going to hell, dying and going to hell. People are, under the, are, are lost and looking for hope. And we're going to spend our time arguing about silly things that in the end don't matter. Jesus is coming again. I'm not calling out a particular person. I've seen people on both sides take this too far, and I've done this with other issues. Anybody in here not guilty of this at some point or another? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then I'll hear their prayer. Let's humble ourselves this morning before the Lord. Let's repent of our sin. And let's get serious about winning this lost and dark world to Jesus Christ. Who's with me today? Amen. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for sending Jesus. Jesus, we say thank you for coming, for humbling yourself and uh, taking on our sin and our shame. Thank you for fulfilling the law. Thank you for being obedient, that faithful Israelite. And thank you for engrafting us into your people. Help us be humble before you today, Lord. Help us humble ourselves before you today. We ask it in Jesus' good name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more about how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ, or if you have questions about our church, you can email us at info at myrealchurch.org. Real Life Community Church is located at 335 Glendon Avenue in Richmond, Kentucky. We invite you to join us for worship Sunday at 1045 a.m. or Wednesday at 7 p.m. Visit us online at myrealchurch.org.